We are in the book of Matthew, traveling together, and today we get to the 24th chapter. Matthew chapter 24, starting in verse 1, we're going to read through the chapter. Tell me when you're there. Anybody there? You got it? Ready? Matthew 24, verse 1. Follow along as I read. I'm going to read all the way through verse 36. And then we're going to talk about it. Jesus left the temple and was going away when his disciples came to point out to him the buildings of the temple. But he answered them, You see all these, do you not? Truly I say to you, there will not be one stone left upon another they will all be thrown down. Verse 3, as he sat on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately saying, tell us what will be these things. When will be these things? I'm sorry. And what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? Jesus answered them, see that no one leads you astray. For many will come in my name saying, I am the Christ, and they will lead many astray, and you will hear of wars and rumors of wars, see that you are not alarmed, for this must take place, but the end is not yet come. For nation will rise against nation, kingdom against kingdom. There will be famines and earthquakes in various places, and all of these are the beginning of birth pains. Then they will deliver you up to the tribulation, to tribulation, and put you to death, and you will be hated by all nations for my name's sake. And then many will fall away and betray one another and hate one another. And many false prophets will arise and lead many astray. Because, and because lawlessness will be increased, the love of many will grow cold. But the one who endures to the end will be saved. And the gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all nations. And then the end will come. So, when you see the abomination of desolation spoken by the prophet Daniel standing in the holy place, let the reader understand. Then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Let the one who is on the housetop not go down to take what is in his house. And let the one who is in the field not turn back to take his cloak. And alas, for women who are pregnant, for those who are nursing infants in those days, pray that your flight may not be in winter or on a Sabbath. For then there will be a great tribulation, such as not had been from the beginning of the world until now, no, and never will be. And if those days had not been cut short, no human being would be saved. But for the sake of the elect, those days will be cut short. And if anyone says to you, look, here is the Christ, or there he is, do not believe it. For false Christs and false prophets will arise and perform great signs and wonders, and lead, uh, so as to lead astray, if possible, even the elect. See, I, I, I have told you before, so if I say to you, look, he is in the wilderness. Do not, if they say to you, I'm sorry, look, he is in the wilderness. Do not go out. If they say, look, he is in the inner rooms, do not believe it. For as lightning comes from the east and shines as far as the west, so will be this, the coming of the Son of Man. Wherever the corpse is, there the vultures will gather. Immediately after the tribulation of those days, the sun will be darkened, and the moon will not give its light, and the stars will fall from heaven, 
and the powers of the heavens will be shaken. Then will appear in heaven the sign of the Son of Man, and then all the tribes of the earth will mourn, and they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. And he will send out his angels with a loud trumpet call, and they will gather his elect from the four winds and from one end to the other. From the fig tree learn its lesson. As soon as its branch becomes tender and puts out its leaves, you know that summer is near. So also when you see all these things, you know that he is near at the very gates. Truly I say to you, this generation will not pass away until all these things take place. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. Let's pray. Father, we ask that as we come into your word today, that you help us understand uh, your word. We believe that this is uh, inspired by the Holy Spirit, that this is living and powerful. We ask, God, that you would speak to us and encourage us in this image of the Son of Man, Jesus Christ, our King, who is coming again. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. An American author once said, there are no hopeless situations. There are only people who have grown hopeless about them. How lovely that sounds. But the reality is, as we look around, it actually seems that there are sometimes hopeless situations. And I want to propose this. If it wasn't for what we have here in this text, in this chapter, the truth that we just read, all would actually be hopeless. But what we see here is hope. Let me just direct you right back to verse 29. Look at it really quick. Verse 29 and 30 says, Immediately after the tribulation of those days, tribulation being bad times, the sun will be darkened, the moon will not give its light, the stars will fall from heaven, the powers of the heavens will be shaken. Then will appear the, in heaven the sign of the Son of Man. And all the tribes of the earth will mourn, and they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven. I want to talk to you on this title, The Coming of the King. Now, we have to admit right off the bat that this passage is a hard one. Matthew 24 is probably the most debated chapter in the entire New Testament. There are all kinds of interpretations and different angles that people come to in this text. And so even for me, I've got to admit, it's challenging to figure out how to preach it. Recognizing I've got friends who I respect who probably will disagree with my interpretation of this, uh, this passage. And I'm going to do just that. I'm going to give you my interpret. I'm going to give you my best understanding of what this passage is saying. Recognizing I might be wrong in some areas. Probably often wrong in some areas. There might be some better interpretations. But, but the, the, the main point is clear. The main point is clear, and that is this. Since Jesus is coming again, we have great hope even in suffering. Let me repeat that again just in case you missed it. Since Jesus is coming again, we have great hope even in, come on, help me, even in suffering, we have great hope. That's the main point, all right? 
Let's do this. I want to spend the first bit of our time, maybe the first half roughly, just trying to understand the passage, trying to piece it together to some degree. I want to take the second half to figure out how, what, uh, in what ways we might apply it to our lives today. I'll give you a quick, brief outline of the passage, my understanding of the passage. Verses 1 through 3, pretty clear. There's a question that's asked. Verses, uh, uh, verses 4 through 28 is what we could call, I'm going to call verses 4 through 28, labor. All right? The world goes into labor, and we are experiencing labor pains in verses 4 through 28. Really interesting note here. Remember, remember the curse on the woman back in Genesis chapter 3. What was the curse on woman? Ladies? Pain in childbearing. All right? What about epidurals? I actually had somebody ask me that. Does that mean we've gotten over the curse? Well, it's still probably painful. I don't know. Pain in childbearing. All right? And then, but there was a promise coming through the seed of the woman would be one, right? Who would that one be? Biblical theologians in the room? Who's the one coming through the woman? Jesus. Got it. All right. You with me? There's a curse then that comes to the serpent. What is the one coming through the woman going to do to the serpent? Crush the head of the serpent. What we see here used to describe this coming of this one who is going to crush the head of the serpent are labor pains. It's the beginning, it says, of pains of labor. We are then, verses 4 through 28, in this period of labor pains. Now in verses 14 through 21, I'm going to talk through this a little more in depth for you, but in verses 14 through 21, I I think that's really a sharp labor pain. That's like, oh, that hurt, all right? That's verses 14 through 21. Just keep that in mind. And then verses 29 through 35, which we closed with, are uh, essentially a sure hope. It, It shows us that we have a sure hope that Jesus is indeed coming again. He's coming back. Let me break it down a little bit more so. So verses 1 through 3, we see this question that's arise. They're, they're looking at the temple. They get on top of the Mount of Olives. And by the way, Zechariah 14 says that Yahweh, the Lord, is going to come and stand on the Mount of Olives and judge. And so here Jesus is standing on the Mount of Olives and he judges the world. What is Jesus saying about himself? His own identity? Who he is? This is Yahweh standing on the Mount of Olives. But also the Mount of Olives offers breathtaking views of the temple. And so they're on the mountain and the disciples are like, look Jesus, look at the buildings. Like it probably just is, wow, it's amazing. They're like tourists. And Jesus responds in verse uh, 3 with, in, in a way that, uh, that I think catches them off guard. Or verse 2, he says, it's all going to be gone. There's not going to be a stone left on a stone. The temple is going to be destroyed. Now that brings out this question in verse 3, when? When is this going to come? 
And so the rest of what we have, starting with verse 4, is Jesus' final discourse in Matthew. And it's, it's his answer of when the end will come. Let's just walk through it briefly. Verse 5. He says there are going to be various antichrists. People who come and say, I am the Christ. Who is the antichrist? Well, back in the day, they thought it was the Pope. The Pope is definitely the antichrist. When I was a kid, they thought it was Saddam Hussein. He is for sure the antichrist. You know what? I think they were probably all somewhat correct. He says there are those who are coming who are plural, antichrist, people who say, I am the Christ, people who stand as the Messiah, as the hope, as the Christ. This could be a politician. This could be a political leader. This could be a pastor. This could be a TV personality. This could be a social media celebrity. Someone who comes as the hope. Someone who comes as the way. There are going to be these various antichrists. And then he goes on. He says, during this time, there's going to be wars and rumors of war. There's going to be political upheaval, nations rising against nations, famines and earthquakes in verse 7. All of these are the beginning of what, verse 8? Help me out. Are you looking at it? Birth pains, you got it. Labor. Then, immediately, that doesn't necessarily mean sequential, but it's just sort of like during, immediately during this time, there's going to be tribulation. They're putting you to death. You are going to be hated. I think this is a reference to all Christians, all that come and follow Christ. You are going to be hated by the world for my name's sake. There are going to be those who fall away. False prophets will arrive. They're going to be leading people away. Love is going to grow cold. And those, he says, who endure to the end, in verse 13, will be saved. There are those whose faith will remain until the end of this life or until Jesus returns. And those are the ones who are saved. Now, verse 14, look at verse 14 with me. This gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. This is why I believe that this era of tribulation is not just simply a literal uh, uh, um, 80, 70 Jerusalem, we're going to talk about that, or seven-year period. This is the, the, the era that we have been living in and are continuing to live in as the gospel is going forward into all of the world, he says. And once the gospel goes into all of the globe, then, he says, the end will come at the end of world evangelism. Verse 15. He now turns, this is where I think he's turning to a sharp labor pain. All right? So we've got general labor, this whole entire period of, let me give you some language here, this, inner, uh, the, the, this period in between the first coming of Christ and the second coming of Christ. This period in between Jesus' death, burial, resurrection, and ascension, all this period until Jesus comes back. And by the way, some of you need to know, Jesus is coming back. Some of you didn't know that. Like, there is a coming. The, the word for the second coming here is just the coming. It's used four times in this passage. The coming. 
Meaning, yes, Jesus is here with the disciples, but when are you coming in such a way that the whole world recognizes your lordship? When are you coming in such a way to bring an end to evil and destruction and phoniness and fraudulence and injustice? When, are you com- when is the coming is what we refer to as the second coming. Jesus will come again one day to this earth Now, there's this sharp labor pain in the midst of it, and this is, everybody say, A.D. 70. That's the year that Jerusalem was sacked. I think that's what Jesus is referring to here in these next verses, as a sharp labor pain, which is getting directly to the question of the temple falling apart. He, he calls it the abomination of desolation. It's a reference to Daniel chapter 7. He says, let the reader understand, meaning those scholars who are looking at the, uh, Daniel 7, they're debating the abomination of desolation. I think what he's saying is, is know that it's coming, AD 70. I think he refers, Dan, he connects Daniel 7 with AD 70. The abomination of desolation, which is what? It's when Rome came and completely sacked Jerusalem. Josephus, who was a historian, he was an eyewitness survivor of the attack on Jerusalem by Rome. And, uh, and he, he described what took place. It was horrific. People were trampled. People were running, trying to get out of the temple. Uh, all, uh, a, a cry that went up around the entire city of Jerusalem, which Josephus described as deafening and a sound that he's never heard since. Unarmed citizens were butchered, which include, included children. Uh, it included old men, priests, lay people alike. People fled out of the city without even going back to get their, their things. They just left everything be, behind, and they ran. I think that's what Jesus is pointing to here. He says, when you see the abomination of desolation, when you see it, let, uh, verse, 16, or verse 17, he says, let the one who's on the housetop not go to take what is in his house. Verse 19, he talks about, man, I hope you're not pregnant during this time, because it would be very difficult for pregnant women to escape this, this season. Uh, I hope it's not a winter, because in winter the rivers are going to rise, and it's going to be hard to get out of Jerusalem. I hope it's not on a Sabbath, so that it, your, your ceremonial traditions don't keep you from running as fast as you can. Verse 21, he says, for then there will be a great tribulation such as not been seen from the beginning of the world until now. No, there ever will be. I believe that he's referring to an event that took place literally 40 years later in which these words were fulfilled and seen as true, a specific sharp labor pain. Now, I think there's a split between verse 21 and 22. I think there's a natural divide here. He says this, and if those days, what are those days? I don't think he's referring to the destruction of the temple in AD 70, but those days, I think, is a reference back to his broader subject of these labor pains. This, this season between the two comings of Christ. If those days had not been cut short, everybody would die. Meaning if the season in which we're living in right now is not cut short, we will all kill ourselves. I think that's what he's saying. And you you think of today like movies about the apocalypse and Armageddon and the end of the world. It's, It's It's uh, something that we love to think about and talk about because it's a reality, okay? That's what Jesus is saying. 
I mean, we, we have uh, threats of nuclear holocaust or, uh, or, or climate change, and this is the way the world could end as a result of climate change. I think there's a reality to, the, to, to th these fears that we could bring an end to ourselves. And Jesus is saying, if I let it go, if I just let things go the way humans are doing things, nobody would survive. But it's going to be cut short. What's it going to be cut short with? Help me out. The second coming. It's going to be cut short with the second coming. And that's exactly where he turns in this passage. He says there's going to be some who come false Christ, antichrist. They're deceivers. But, the, but I am going to come again. The Son of Man is going to come. And when he comes, it's not going to be private. He says, you're going to hear about it. Like somebody says he came back in the wilderness. Somebody says he came back in, in the closet. Somebody says Jesus came back in Honduras. Right? It's not going to be a private event. Well, what if I'm Jesus back? It's not going to be a private event. When he comes back, he's not coming back as a humble babe in a manger. He's coming back as the king for all to see. He says, when I come back, when this happens, it's going to be public. Verse 27, it will be like lightning. It is clear. It is sure. Now, verses 29, go ahead and look at verse 29. This is immediately after the tribulation. So I believe it's this 2,000-year-plus tribulation period that we are living in. Immediately after this period, the sun will be darkened. The moon will not give light. The stars will fall from heaven. This is old apocalyptic language again from Zechariah. Yahweh comes on the Mount of Olives, and then shortly thereafter, there is going to be this darkening of the sun and the moon. The stars are going to fall, and Yahweh is going to appear as the judge and as the Savior, and as the hope to make the world right. Jesus is Yahweh in this text. And he, he, he comes, he says, here's the answer to his disciples' original question in verse 30. He says, then will appear the sign. What will be the sign of the end? How will we know when the end? He said, the sign is this, when you see me in the clouds. You know what? All these people are like looking for signs. Signs of the times. I'm going I'm to look at the news. I'm going to Google the news today and figure out if I can determine when Jesus is coming. You know what the sign is going to be? We will see Jesus in the clouds. That's the sign that he gave his disciples. Nothing to do with like the Middle East. Nothing to do with what's going on in Israel. Nothing to do with Saddam Hussein. Bin Laden, George Bush, Barack Obama, Donald Trump. No, the sign that Jesus gave us is himself in the clouds. That's how we know that the end is here. He's just coming back. And then he, he just, what we, where we ended it is just this sure hope. Like It is a sure hope. That he's coming back. He says, just as the fig tree learns its lesson, as soon as the branch becomes tender and puts out its leaves. Like, for instance, 
Stephanie, you need to know this, actually. Pretty soon, pink flowers are going to form on all the trees around here. Yeah, this is a sign of hope. <laughs> this is a sign. Somebody say amen. This is a sign of hope that summer is near, right? And just as we know that summer is near, he says, there is a sure hope. We've got, what are the pink flowers? Well, the pink flowers are this. We're living in tribulation. It feels like crap. Uh, but it's actually pink flowers as well, all right? It's a sign that his coming is imminent. He says, when you, when you see these things, probably, I think he's probably referencing back to the beginning of birth pains. These things, these, this tribulation, this, this reality in which you're living. When you see these things, know that I'm standing at the gates. Know that I'm ready to pounce on all evil, on all injustice, and I'm ready to free this world and my people and make my dwelling with them. Verse 35, heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. It is, sure, Jesus is coming again. That is the hope that we have in this passage. Jesus is coming again. If I could have one prayer for you guys this morning as we study this passage, it is this, that you have hope. I want you to have hope. In what ways? Let me just break down a couple ways. This is some application here. Some ways that we can have hope from this passage. Let me give you three ways that we see hope. Number one, we have hope as we face persecution. You can have hope as you face persecution. Do you know the way that James, the brother of Jesus, died? Have you ever heard that story? According to, to tradition, James was in Jerusalem preaching Christ, his brother. Christ, risen from the dead. By the way, Jerusalem put Jesus to death, right? And he's gaining this huge following of people who are worshiping and following Jesus. Probably these same Pharisees that Jesus is going at are now looking at James and saying, we can't stop this guy, this Jesus. And so they put James on the pinnacle of the temple, which we believe is around 450 feet up in the air. They put him on the pinnacle of the temple. And all of his followers, all of these crowds were down at the bottom, and, and, and the, the, the Pharisees said to James, they said, Oh, righteous one, that was his nickname. They're probably mocking him. In whom do we place our confidence? People are led astray by Jesus, the crucified one. They're putting him on the spot, hoping that he'll like, tone down his message a little bit. But they did the wrong thing. And they gave James a big podium and a chance to preach Christ crucified. And he said this, Why do you ask me about Jesus, the Son of Man? He sits in heaven at the right hand of the great power, and soon he will come in the clouds. 
And with that, the Pharisees pushed him off the pinnacle of the temple and he fell 450 feet to the ground. Supposedly, miraculously, he survived. He stood back up to his feet and they stoned him. And while they were stoning him, somebody came with a big club and hit him in the head and that's how he died. All right, persecution. <laughs> none of you are going to, prob- probably none of you will be persecuted in the way of James. Maybe. Seriously, maybe. We've got to be ready. What is our hope? What is James' hope in persecution? It's this. He says he's coming again. The Son of Man is coming in the clouds. Like one, He's quoting Matthew. He's quoting his own brother, the Christ, the Lord. He's saying he's coming. That's how he can, in the midst of persecution, have such boldness and have such great confidence. Listen, your hope is rooted in Jesus Christ. Christ who died and was resurrected. We're persecuted then for his sake. Look at verse 9. In verse 9 he says there will be, uh, uh, people are going to be sent out and uh, you're, you're going to be hurt, you're going to be destroyed, you will be hated by all nations for my name's sake, he says. Persecuted for my name's sake. Listen, I love pizza. But I will never take persecution for pizza. Like if you said, you know, tacos are better, what a, all right, <laughs> I ain't going to be persecuted for that. I love, I think LeBron James is the greatest basketball player to, to ever exist. It's wonderful having the mic sometimes. Um, but listen, I ain't going to be persecuted for LeBron James. All right, like if you're going to persecute me over that, all right, whatever. I concede, Kobe, whatever. Jordan, fine, whatever. Don't, I'm not going to be persecuted for LeBron James' namesake. You see what I'm saying? But listen, I'm willing to be persecuted for Christ. Why? It's because Christ is coming again. It's because we have this great hope of the second coming. Our Savior, our Lord, is not just sitting out in heaven chilling while we're down here suffering. He's coming again. Oh, and so I can be persecuted for Christ. Absolutely. What a great hope we have in the midst of persecution. We also, our, uh, our, our, our hope is, is rooted in the fact that we will not fall away in the midst of persecution. Verse 10, he says, because of the persecution, there will be those who fall away. But verse 13, those who remain until the end will be saved. Friends, that is you and I. If you are in Jesus Christ, you have the hope that you will remain until the end. I wonder in what ways you might be persecuted. You know, persecution can come in all kinds of ways. It can be small, it can be large, it can be very blatant. Persecution can be very subtle. You know, in the world that we live in today, I would say in America, uh, most people are fine with the fact that you're a Christian. It generally is, is not a problem. Uh, but when you start talking to Jesus and they discover that you believe that Jesus Christ is the only way to God, now there's a problem. When we start talking about the exclusivity of Christ, which Jesus himself taught and believed, Now there's a problem. You know, persecution can come in all sorts of subtle ways from our friends. 
from those institutions that we might work for. Some of you work for institutions and organizations where if your faith kind of got out there, you might be let go from your, your organization or you might be held back. Persecution can often come from within families. You know, there are some godly men and women in our church here who have been rejected by family members because they believe the Bible to be true and they're unwavering in their position. Been outright persecuted, rejected by family members, disowned you. Sometimes what's crazy, what's mind-boggling is that today persecution can come from within a lot of churches. I just recently watched a video of a guy who was standing up in front of a, a whole bunch of church leaders, and he explained how he was bullied in, in middle school uh, for being gay. And, and now he says, I, I'm attracted to the same sex, but I do believe that what the Bible says about marriage, about male and female, the goodness of that. And so I'm committed to celibacy, and I'm committed to teach. And he said, now I'm bullied within the church because I stand firm on the scriptures. It was just crazy, like, how many different ways persecution can kind of, like, enter into our lives. Very subtle ways. The fact is, though, we have hope in the midst of any kind and all kinds of persecution. We can remain firm as we stand with Jesus Christ, who the world rejected. He is our strength. He is our foundation. Let me move on to a second application here. Secondly, we have hope as we face deception. We can have great hope as we face deception, as we're deceived, as people try to deceive. I love this story of Thomas Edison. He uh, had a bunch of Havana cigars, which are very expensive cigars, and he had this box of them, and, and he noticed that his guests who would come into his office would often steal his Havana cigars as they were walking out, and, and he was constantly replacing his expensive cigars. And so he told his secretary, I want you to buy a bunch of those cheap, fake, cabbage-wrapped cigars. And I want you to put them right there where everybody gets their hands in it, and, and they can steal the cabbage cigars. They taste terrible, right? And um, so some time went by, and he asked his secretary, like, hey, uh, did those cabbage cigars ever come in? And she said, yeah, they actually came in but your manager received them and he packed them in your luggage and you took them on your last trip. And then he starts laughing and he says, and you know what, I smoked every one of those. <laughs> mm. Listen, uh, deceivers are not wrapped in cabbage, but they're wrapped in poison. That's really the difference. You smoke one of these cigars and they will kill you in a heartbeat. And what we see here, Christ prophesies that there will be all of these different deceivers, these antichrists, as he calls them. Verse 5, verse 11, verse 23, verse 24. Satan's number one strategy is deception. He deceives you. He makes you think that that's better. He makes you think it's like, let's just stay out one more hour. Let's just hang out here one more hour. And something's going to happen. Something's going to be good. Like, let's just stay right here. I, I, know, I know what I'm supposed, but I'm, I, I, I think that this, you know, he's a deceiver. I mean, I think, what did Satan do in the garden? He came to Adam and Eve as a serpent, 
deceiving them, promoting something for their good, for their benefit. It was like poison. And he continues this strategy all throughout this redemptive history. There are all kinds of people who stand up and deceive. Antichrist, false teachers, false prophets. Listen, friends, today this could be YouTube videos. YouTube videos filled with supposed like new information and we're going to we're going to reveal stuff. No, it's all deception. It's all just deception. Twitter, TV personalities, politicians, pastors, new atheist movement coming along with like new ways of 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 packaging old atheism which which speak to young people and it's deceptive it really is there are always going to be deceivers what is our hope in the second coming as we think of deception what we see here is a couple things one we see that we cannot be deceived we can't be deceived as christians look at i love verse 24 he says if possible do you see that right there False Christ, false prophets, they'll arise, great signs. They're, they're going to lead people straight. Look, if possible, even the elect. If possible, even the elect. Meaning, if it were possible, they would, their, their arguments are so strong and so tight and they are so slick that if possible, they would even lead away the elect. But of course, it's not possible. That's essential. That's, that's the other side of what he's saying. True believers cannot be deceived. We have the Holy Spirit speaking, and we might be deceived for a season, don't get me wrong. But ultimately, we can we cannot ultimately be deceived by one of these false prophets, false Christ. We will always come back to the truth because the Holy Spirit testifies to my spirit that I am a child of God. We cannot be deceived. Also, deception will not continue. Christ is coming back and he will put an end to all deception. It will be no more. We then have great boldness as we stand against the deceivers of our day. Number three. So we, we've, got, we've got hope as we face persecution. Secondly, we've got hope as we face deception. And thirdly, we've got hope as we face tribulation as we face tribulation. I've told you the story before of the young girl who's with his, her mother and they're starving to death. And she asks, Mother, will God allow us to starve? And the mother says, of course, honey, of course God will not allow us to starve. And the young girl says, but even if he does, Mother, we must still love him. Oh, we live in this world this ro through, look, we look at the world so often with rose-colored glasses, rose-colored religious glasses, we'll call them, as if everything's peachy now that we've got Jesus, as if there aren't any trials in the believer's life. What we see in this text are two things. One, we see believers are not saved from trials. But secondly, we see this. Believers are saved through trials. We are not saved from trials. In verse 9, he says, you will have tribulation. 
You're going to be in the tribulation. Tribulation is coming to you. And we see all kinds of tribulation. We see tribulation here in the natural realm. Earthquakes and famines. We see tribulation in the spiritual realm. Deceivers, deception, temptation. We see tribulation in the political realm. Wars, rumors of war. We see tribulation in the personal realm as one person turns against another for their belief in Jesus Christ. Friends, you have temptations in your life. Are you with me? You have temptations in your life. I don't think you're with me. What's tomorrow? Exactly. Thank you, Madra. What's tomorrow? Monday. And like half the people in the room just got stressed. Monday. Tribulation. Mondays are tribulation for many people. Hey, let's not make light of it. There is challenges and trials at our workplaces. We we enjoy the warmth of worship and singing, and as soon as we, we walk out of this place, the stresses of life hit us again, and we're reminded of all that we've got to do. We've got all kinds of tribulations around us. Uh, Single folks, there's a certain kind, a unique kind of tribulation being single, isn't there? Married folks, there's a unique kind of tribulation being married, isn't there? Some of you have lost loved ones. I think of those in the room who have lost parents. Children to miscarriages. friends, brothers, sisters. We are not freed from trials. But even in the midst of trials, I wonder how the hope of the second coming changes the way you handle the tribulation at hand. You see, friends, the Bible is clear. We are saved through trials. What I mean by that is our faith is refined and becomes as gold as we go through trials. It is through the trials and tribulations of life that all of the, 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 the sin that wreaks havoc in my life, that all of my, my wandering mind, it's just, it, it, it over time is burned away through the trials and the tribulations of life And after every trial, a true believer comes out gold. Or at least more gold than you were before. More pure than you were before. You still got a lot of corruption to burn away, so don't worry. There are plenty more trials coming your way. But friends, when the trials come, they are here only to refine you. To prepare you for the second coming of Christ, who is coming back for his loved ones. If you're not a Christian, I want you to know that your temporal trials that you face on earth are only a mere taste of the eternal tribulation that you will face. Friends, turn to Christ. Come to Christ now. The Christ who is coming for his beloved. Come to him. Cling to him. And know that the eternal tribulation for your sin was placed onto his shoulders at Calvary. Amen?
Listen, religious people say, come to Christ and all will be well. Come to Christ, your bank account will be full, you'll always have a warm bed to sleep on. Come to Christ, your marriage will work out, all will be well. The irreligious people, they really see the world as it is. They say, you know what, religion is a bunch of fill in the blank. Just let it be clean. They see the world, and they say, the the fact that there is suffering in this world, tribulations and trials in this world, mean, tells us that God cannot exist. So you're a fool to continue on with religion when you've got tribulation and trials and suffering. But friends, the gospel says that in this world you will have temporal tribulation. In this world, you are going through this intermediate season between the two comings of Christ, and you must remain firm, do not be deceived, and hang on until the end. I'm pleading with you, I'm begging with you, hang on until the end. But the eternal tribulation has been taken away by Jesus Christ family, the greatest tribulation you could ever imagine is gone. It's gone. It is no more. You have the life and the hope of heaven. Friends, will you trust him? Will you keep trusting him? Will you continue trusting him until the end? Receive him now before he comes again. The world may turn their back on you But God the Father is forever turning His face toward you. Is that not enough? Jesus is coming again. Amen? Jesus is coming for who? Is He coming for me? Is He coming? Because let's just stop for a second. Jesus is coming again is only good news if He's coming for me. If He's coming for you. Who is Christ coming for? Because I think of the curse. I think of the reality of the curse of sin that wonder. How can I be sure that Jesus is coming for me? Given the reality of the curse, how can you be sure that Jesus is coming for you? Remember the curse. There will be pain in childbearing. There will be these labor pains for 2,000 plus years now, friends. We are in labor. We are experiencing the pains of labor, waiting for the arrival of this one who's going to come and crush the head of the serpent. And the world groans as we wait in labor. But there is one coming through the woman. Amen. There is one coming who will crush the head of the serpent. He is at the very center of all of the chaos in your life. Friends, tell the devil that his head is going to be smashed. Say it. Your head is going to be smashed. There is one coming who is going to smash the head of the devil. 
Matthew chapter 16, going back a few chapters, verse 27 says, For the Son of Man is going to come in his Father's glory with his angels, and then he will reward each person according to what he has done. Now let's just pause for one moment again. How does that then mean that I will be accepted? If I am to be rewarded for what I have done, how can I say with confidence that he is coming for me? How can I have hope in his second coming? It's because I am in Christ. How can you have hope in the second coming of Christ? It's because you are in Christ. 1 Corinthians chapter 1 says, because of God, you are in Christ Jesus, who became wisdom for us, and righteousness, and sanctification, and redemption. That means that I've got a right to the second coming. I've got a right to heaven. I've got a right to be caught up and transformed and changed in the twinkling of an eye. I've got a right to the new creation, when he makes all things new. I've got a right to Jesus Christ because I am in Christ. 1 Corinthians 1 continues that and says, let the one who boasts then boast in the Lord. You might boast in yourself. You're going to die. You might boast in your sports team. They're going to lose. All right? You might boast in your beauty. It's going to fade. But for me, I will not boast in gifts, power, nor riches. But I will boast in Jesus Christ, his death, and his resurrection. Let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. Amen? Amen? And so then we have, friends, a great hope in the second coming of Jesus Christ, even as we are in suffering. Let's pray. Father, we ask that you take these truths and seal them in our hearts. I pray that they will drive us into this week as we face trials and tribulations of all sorts. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.